Hello, Paul. Hello. Come into the office, my friend. Have a seat. Uh, you're looking well this week. Hey, Paul, um, you, what's, what's that in your hands there, Paul? You got a list or something? Oh, yes, Dr. Horsettler. Remember that list I was telling you where I list everyone's, you know, strengths and weaknesses and um, it's all the people I dislike and, you know, this is my oh. my list of enemies and I'm going to get them to wipe each other out. You remember that? Uh, well, very, very briefly, um, how is this list going to be put to use, Paul? If I know everything about my enemies, then I can pick no. them against each other and they will destroy each other and uh, I can sit back and watch and my enemies will be wiped from the face of the earth and their blood will uh, run in the gutters and I will be ascendant. Uh, uh, Paul, nine, 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 nine. This, this is not a healthy thing to be doing, Paul. I, I don't know why you're persisting with such, such silly actions. Honestly, Paul, I, I was hoping we could get you to a healthy mindset, but Paul, I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit disappointed in you this week. Right. Right, okay. That's fine. You can forget about it. Uh, the list is gone. You never hear about it again. Okay, that's, mm. that's good. Um, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Are, are you a fast runner? Oh, back in my college days, yes, I was on the track team. Yeah, but just now fast, in my old age. I... Fast runner, okay. And, um... Yeah, do, uh, are you strong? Do you have upper body strength? Ah, uh, not really, no, no, uh, I'm not in the body. Okay, good. Alright, that's all. Alright, I've got to go. Bye. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous now. Job well done. Stand in ovation. Yeah, you got what you wanted I guess you won And I don't wanna hear They don't know you like I do Even I could've told you But now we're done Cause you Play me like a symphony Play me till your fingers bleed I'm your greatest masterpiece You ruin me Hello and welcome to DCOCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 all the way up to, well, I don't know where we're going to get to, because, you know, they keep adding new events. That's one of the things that comic companies do, particularly DC. But we have reached the second event of 2004, which is, you know, not we didn't just get Identity Crisis, we also got War Games. Yeah, so War Games was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long one, but it all happened in 2004, and it started in the pages of the 12 Cent Adventure, and then there were 37 uh, issues, technically. Well, um, it's really vague, because it, you're not sure where this one starts, you're not sure where it finishes. Well, sort of. But it, it comes across seven different series. It was mostly written by Devin Grayson, Anderson Gabrick, AJ Lieberman, uh, Bill Willingham, Dylan Horrocks, uh, with Ed Brubaker on the Catwoman stuff. Um, it had art by a whole bunch of people, including Brad Walker, Pete Woods, Paul Galassi, 
uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, Sean Phillips, Damien Scott, and many more. And it was coloured by Alex Sinclair and uh, a few other people. Edited by Matt Idelson, Bob Shrek, and Michael Wright. And it had covers. Well, there's some good ones by James Jean in there, and um, occasionally Matt Wagner and a few other people. But uh, I'm not doing this alone. I'm joined by Mike Staley, who is the man behind the Silent Night Cassandra Kane podcast. Hey, how are you going, Mike? Hey, everyone. So, um, was this a first read for you? Uh, this was. Um, War Games, like, to be honest, many stories, is on my list of things to read. But with, as you said a little bit earlier, with so many stories constantly coming out, it can be hard to get a hold of all the ones that you want to read. But yes, this was my first opportunity to read this story. (laughs) Well, yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah, how would you describe what happens in this event? Well, basically, somebody mysteriously sets up a meeting between all the gangs of Gotham. However, when the person behind the meeting doesn't show up, things get tense, and soon bullets start flying, leading into a full-on gang war. So Batman and the rest of the Bat family must deal with trigger-happy criminals, cops that do not like him, and teammates that are continually beginning to lose faith in him as the story goes. Mm-hmm. Yes. If, yeah, it, it's rooted in some weird things happening in the Batman family. So if you're familiar with um, the Bat books through the time of Nightfall all the way through till perhaps No Man Land, and then you get used to what happens after that with Rucker and Brubaker on the books, this is a very different cast, and it's a very different um, sort of feel to the Bat books, and you've got a lot of changes. So you know, Chuck Dixon's gone, uh, Greg Rucker's gone, um, Ed Brubaker is still in there. He's hanging in there with uh, the Catwoman book alone. Uh, but yeah, there's a whole new bunch of writers, and it's, it feels very different. And the cast has um, changed a lot. So Batman has, you know, Tim Drake is basically uh, he's quit for most of this story. Uh, yes, he had uh, quit because he, when his dad found out that he was Robin, he didn't like him be, putting himself in all that danger. So to respect his father's wishes, Tim uh, retires as Robin, in which they then, as tends to be the case, legacy character, they bring in a new one <laughs> for all of like 15 minutes. Uh, this is a spoiler for those who haven't read it, but the spoiler gets <laughs> to be Robin. <laughs> <laughs> She gets to be Robin for four issues, I think, if you count them. And Somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, and uh, she doesn't listen to everything Batman says and quits. Uh, so, I mean, and well, technically she gets fired. Yeah, well, technically she gets fired. Yes, I, I, I was sad that she didn't get to be Robin longer than that, and thought it was a bit of a, a cop out by the writers at this point, but uh, or the editorial team who made that decision. Uh, how did you feel about them? I thought it was interesting bringing in uh, Steph as the new Robin. Admittedly, I wasn't following closely at the time. So if I had to guess, I'm wondering if maybe there was some backlash about her being Robin, whether from people who like her as spoiler or people who uh, just didn't like her be taking over as Robin. Maybe they they didn't like losing Tim. But I wonder if it was fan backlash that led to DC quickly uh, cutting it back out. I was, well, I was on the boards at the time. I don't remember looking at the Batman boards that much, but I didn't get the sense that there was too much uh, outrage or disappointment. Um, I 
did get the feeling that fans were disappointed when she didn't get to continue as Robin. Particularly because it, it, it's basically plot hammering to, uh, you know, get the start of War Games ready. Um, so I guess the big spoiler for War Games, or the first of many big spoilers, is the fact that uh, the whole War game scenario is... Uh, it's a plan by Batman to get the gangs to uh, basically take each other out um, or, you know, bring peace to Gotham. But uh, it, there's a key player who's meant to show up in the meeting, as you said, and that is Matches Malone, which is one of Batman's uh, alter egos who uh, he uses to get information out of the the criminal underworld and yeah without matches malone uh the meeting just turns into a bloodbath and a whole bunch of you know these uh, sort of yeah mostly the non-flashy villains in the batman books of the time get wiped out and some of their bodyguards get killed and that kicks off the whole gang war but it's because stephanie showed up um to you know she arranged all these meetings based on batman's um, war game notes in his computer and yeah, this uh, this kicks off one of the, my first real problems with this comic is the fact that um, everything that's unfolding is Batman's plan and it takes him forever to notice. Yeah, this is one of those points where world's greatest detective isn't really as smart as you would think he would be. Um, but yeah, you were mentioning how this whole thing was Steph's idea after, you know, she gets fired. She wants, she figures, I can impress Batman by putting this into action and, you know, bringing about peace. And, but yeah, the fact that this was one of his plans and yet he couldn't figure it out until like, I'd say a good third or it's about halfway through, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Almost halfway through the story before he finally figures out that it was his plan. One thing, and this is one of the rare few things in the story I did like, you always hear about Batman has a contingency plan for everything. And this is one of those cases where it shows that that's not always a good thing. Mm. Because it was having this contingency plan that caused the problem, even if he wasn't the one that enacted it. The fact that it was there put the idea, you know, in Steph's head. So in a way, it was showing that him trying to plan for everything kind of came back to bite him. Yeah, and yeah, I guess there's a tradition of that um, recently with um, comics like the Tower of Babel where uh, Batman has his plan to defeat all the Justice Leaguers and uh, it, Ra's al Ghul gets hold of it and enacts it. And uh, Yeah, but it's okay because Batman's a bit paranoid because people messed with his memories as seen in Identity Crisis and that's made him really paranoid. But, yeah. um, my, my thoughts on that on that story I, I i'm not gonna get into that we don't have time <laughs> <laughs> well, yes well hopefully everyone's listened to our episode on that and you can get a balanced uh, viewpoint on that one uh, that controversial one yeah so i like to think of this story as what would the world be like if batman was incompetent and an idiot and uh, <laughs> you know this is what this story is so you know through all the i mean i find it very um convenient for the plot that Batman can't realise that someone has accessed a file on his computer called Wargame um, and, you know, read it and said, oh, okay, that sounds like a good plan, and then enacts that plan, and then he doesn't notice that that has been one, the file has been accessed and two, that the plan is in process. Yeah, it's bizarre. So, anyway, war kicks out in Gotham, all the gangs are trying to kill each other and it gets nasty, people start targeting um, the civilian mobsters, so, you know, the, the wives and children of um, 
crime and uh, yeah one of Tim Drake's uh, close friends at the school Dala gets um, killed in the crossfire and uh, the whole school ends up under siege and uh, this is yeah this is one of the things that drives me nuts about this story and it's you know there's two weird things coming into it and one is the fact that uh, at some point the editorial team behind the Bat books decided that Batman should be an urban myth so no one really knows if he's real so the people the average citizen in Gotham just thinks that Batman is a rumour and I have a big problem with that because you know I think this is the same universe where Batman is part of the Justice League and says, you know, get exactly. that ca- camera out of my face when people ask him things. So, you know, that's ridiculous. It's it's sort of like a soft continuity reset without any good reason. Uh, and the other thing is, this story has, you know, hundreds of citizens getting killed in the crossfire. And there's scenes where Batman and Oracle are all under pressure and, you know, we don't have enough resources and, you know... and by saying that, I mean, Tim isn't working for us. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, these people... People are dying because no one is uh, taking care of the situation. And you have to basically just pretend that Batman doesn't know The Flash or Superman or Wonder Woman or any of these people who could get involved. Like, The Flash could run around and solve this, defuse most of the violence really quickly, and it's just... It's there for the sake of it. It's not. They're not excluded uh, for logical reasons, like they attempted in No Man's Land. They're just left out because it's a convenience. Mm. And it, yeah, it honestly drives me nuts. And I find this story is it's kind of weak. You know, all these people dying. Batman is he's like we've had stories where Batman has learned the lesson to trust his friends, and it's all forgotten again, again. <laughs> Always is. Yeah, he is, you know, being a super bat dick to um, Oracle throughout, and he's very patronising of Druid and doesn't explain his plans. And that's the other weird thing about the story is... Did you notice that, like, Batman is just a cipher in this? There's no internal monologue. There's no talking it through with anybody. Um, it's it's just like he's a flat cardboard character moving through this plot, and he doesn't get to have any personality and say, and he doesn't seem particularly intelligent. I mean, Alfred is mostly off the scene. Uh, it's a very sort of... Um, just plot, plot, plot type story, and it not not character, character, character. I mean, the closest we get to character is um, Stephanie's internal diary, as she talks about being Robin, and uh, just some of the fretting that goes on after everything goes wrong. And then, you know, also her problem: everything goes wrong with this gang war, and she doesn't go see Batman. And when she does try and fix things, it's by getting involved in the gang war and ending up in you know places it's probably dangerous to be, and. Yeah, the big spoiler, <laughs> again, all this leads to uh, the death of Stephanie, where she uh, goes to see a criminal who's actually an agent of the Bat called Orpheus, and it turns out that uh, a black mask has shown up. He's not dead. I didn't know he was dead at the time. I can't remember. I think that happened in Catwoman. And, yeah, he kills Orpheus and then takes Orpheus' place and tortures uh, Stephanie in really the most comic book of tortures where people just end up with a slightly torn costume and a bit of scratching and you're not really sure what the torture achieved or how, you know what it did um and I, I hate it when you have violence but you know it's inconsequential like that like stephanie is able to fight and escape and fight some more and she's up against black mask who the writers have made invincible for some reason at this point so that's yeah. that's frustrating <laughs> 
Yeah, and admittedly, I'm not as big a fan of Black Mask as I am some of the other members of Batman's rogues gallery, so I don't know as much about him. But I was noticing that he was, like, not only invincible, but he is basically what a lot of people see Batman as, like, knowing everything that's going to happen, knowing everything to do to make sure he wins. You know, nothing can stop him. And with that torture scene, you know, you're right. Most of what we saw from it is that other than little descriptions of, you know, like her saying, oh, you're going to try to use a power drill to torture me when there's no power in the city right now. To which she says, I have a generator, but we don't actually see what he does with said power drill or any of the after effects of said power drill. Yeah, and, and I don't want to. I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. Oh, no, no, no. I by no means am suggesting that I want to see that. I'm yeah, just... yeah. if someone imprisoned me and tortured me and I came out looking as good as Stephanie does, I'd be quite happy at the end of that. But, uh, yeah, and it's it, it's really distasteful, all that stuff with... um. You know, Stephanie escapes, like, twice from him and then hangs around to fight him and gets defeated, like, both times. And, oh, it's so frustrating. And, yeah, and the fact that she dies at the end... Oh, and the other part of this story that I don't like is, basically, Leslie Tompkins, this is um, Batman's civilian doctor friend, is spends the whole story going, oh, t- oh, this violence, oh, make it stop, it's so bad, this violence is the worst. Uh, you know, and... Yeah, she, I mean, she just becomes a, a droning anti-violence voice, but, you know, never really offers any alternative or, you know, wisdom in that situation other than, oh, stop fighting in, near my clinic, you know. She gets and, a Batgirl, you know, really badly on that when uh, Batgirl steps in to try to defend the clinic against a gang that tries to basically take it over. The fight ends up breaking into the clinic and the gang leader ends up getting killed by one of her own men and leslie just you know shames uh cassandra Mm. for this whole situation even though all she was trying to do was you know protect the clinic yeah yeah we lose the 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 bat um villain minor villain links in this story and we lose a few others we lose hellhound um carnivora you know and that's another thing, this story keeps throwing more villains at you without saying, this is this person. For a lot of this book, I was going, who is that? I, re- I don't remember yeah. that character. <laughs> or I vaguely remember that character, and I don't know who they are. Oh, they're dead. Oh, I don't know who that was. And and Black Mask is so good at imitating Orpheus that he, you know, he walks around, yeah. he fools Batman, and he fools Onyx, who's his um, bodyguard. Uh, and it's quite convenient that he happened to have the exact type of uh, like uh, putty or makeup or whatever to make himself look exactly like Orpheus right there with him at the time when he happened to randomly find and kill Orpheus and happened to be able to perfectly mimic him. <laughs> yes, and fool Batman in the same room. So <laughs> he's that good. And he's the same body height and shape and etc. So that's convenient as well. Ooh, yeah. Another one of the things that bothered me was Batman's relationship with the police, specifically Commissioner Atkins, who, of course, replaced Commissioner Gordon. You know, Batman, when he realizes what's going on, wants to try to fix it. He I hesitate to use the word asks Atkins to let him have control of the police force for eight hours. And Atkins says no, because Atkins doesn't like Batman. So Batman proceeds to basically do it anyway. And yep. take complete control of the police force, which yeah, uh, just I understand. You know, he feels he has to do what has to be done, but 
that's again another case of him coming off just like such a jerk in this yeah and it backfires and they end up with a um, shoot to kill policy on every single person wearing a mask hero or villain and yeah there is not a lot of nuance in that sort of um, ending of this story and yeah anyway i before we get to down into uh, hating it is that what do you like about it (laughs) was there anything well actually i think the story itself is intriguing the mystery during the first uh half of it of you know who set this all up uh who's gonna live who's gonna die um i mean the story going in was intriguing before things kind of fell apart and got irritating with the exception of uh, the likes of Batman, I thought some of the characterization worked, like Tim's uh, struggles over whether or not he should come back to being Robin or follow his father's wishes and staying as just a civilian. Um, of course, I do a Cassandra Kane podcast, so obviously I loved seeing Cassandra used in this, although she admittedly wasn't used heavily, but... I enjoyed seeing her just because I always enjoy seeing her. Yeah, I mean, she's she comes off pretty well in this story, considering how everyone else comes off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I I struggle to find things that I like about the story because it, it just... Um, I guess it has a nice sustained pace. Like, it feels like the pace is the same from title to title as it switches. And, you know, editorially it was put together quite well, so, you know, there weren't any... Um, discrepancies in continuity or anything uh but yeah i i'm I'm not a fan (laughs) i'm not a fan of this one particularly because i've read other uh bat books and uh bat crossovers and this one we're told the stakes are high we're told that lots of people are dying but it doesn't really feel like the stakes are being emotionally conveyed through the story Uh, you know the the only part where I felt a bit of emotion was what's happening to Stephanie, and that emotion was, you know, why is this happening? Is this stupid? Um, yeah, and you never want your plot to hinge on the fact that someone should just talk to someone else and that will defuse the situation, and they don't. You know, it's... Yeah, but anyway, anyway. Now, yeah, so the upshot of this is uh, Stephanie is dead at the end, um, but the story has a little... Um, what would we call it, a coder or a follow-up story. So, you know, and one of the things that, as you said, Black Mask is in it, but he keeps escaping no matter what he escapes every single time. He's such a slippery little guy. And he gets away <laughs> at the end of War Games. Um, but there's a follow-up story called War Crimes, which happened very soon after it. Um, and, yeah, you gave that one a read as well? Uh, I did. In a way, it's a, like a follow-up and kind of setting up the status quo following war games. Because, uh, of course, Black Mask now in full control of pretty much all crime in Gotham. Except, of course, for the ones who he's not in control of. But we don't talk about them. <laughs> and, of course, the biggest thing that comes in war crimes is the revelation that Stephanie did not have to die. When she got to Leslie's clinic, she could have survived. But Leslie, and here's where I start to get irritated again, Leslie decided to let Stephanie die in order to make a point to Batman about him constantly bringing all of these children into this war. Mm. And 
after after she had done that, she basically left, went back to Africa where she had uh, where it had established she'd spent some time, you know, years ago. And Batman finds out about this, goes to her and basically tells her never come back to America, never practice medicine again. Mm. Now, of course, all of this will be retconned later, but. Uh, just the fact that this is what they choose to do with this by having revealed that Leslie basically let Stephanie die to make a point to Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that is a bad one. Yeah, and but there's a further retcon not soon after in um, Gotham Underground, which is, uh, I think it was a mini-series or maxi-series that they did, and that reveals that um, Stephanie is actually alive and mm-hmm. has... Um, you know, because of the trauma of the events, has decided to start a new life. And her immediately, um, her new life changes to her starting her old life again as the spoiler and coming back, etc. Um, so, and this is one of the, you know, the bad things about this story is every single future mention of this story is only to undo it. Like they and they keep backpedaling on the events on of it to say, oh no, um, it's Leslie Tompkins is a murderer, and then they go, oh oh no, she's not a murderer. Uh, Stephanie's still alive. Oh no, um, she's the spoiler again. It never you know really mattered anyway. And obviously this story, uh, it was um, it was hated. <laughs> I think it was you know the Stephanie fans were furious at the end of this. Um, Stephanie in this, Stephanie, this is very much fitting the whole women in refrigerators trope yeah of a a character who is basically completely ruined for the sake of motivating another character into action yeah that is what they pretty much do to stephanie in this story which i is why a lot of people justifiably hated it yeah yeah and there was a big conspiracy of why didn't stephanie have a a um a glass cabinet with her outfit in it in the Batcave, like everyone else who dies got. Um, so there was a whole, you know, conspiracy of, you know, the editorial people at the Bat Office, you know, don't like her and, you know, because she's a woman or whatever. Yeah, but one of the things, like, this story just begs for an aftermath where Batman has some consequences for his incompetence and... It never happens. Like there's actually there's a a really clunky part of the story where Batman rallies everyone and says, you know, this is bad. You know, war is bad. War is not a game, and we're gonna, you know, now we're gonna fight war. And it's like this is entirely your fault, Batman. And all your, you know, allies are just going along with you. Like, yeah, rousing speech, Batman. Let's go kick, you know, villain ass instead of going. Uh, this is all your fault because you're an idiot and I'm not going to follow you anymore. And Oracle, there's like a dozen times where she's like, oh, Batman, you're so rude to me. And, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to keep doing it because it's important. <laughs> you know, and, and this, this is pretty much where this, where the story kind of ends up with everybody, everybody leaves pretty much. Yeah. And, but it, it feels like Batman never gets, you know, sat down and said, hey, you're really, really, really bad at fighting crime with a group of people, <laughs> which, you know, is what is needed at the end of this for to make it feel, I don't know, at least like a complete part of the story gets told. Hmm, anyway. Yeah, it seemed like they were trying to, in a way, go back to basics, you know, eliminate having Oracle in his ear, eliminate having any teammates, and have the cops completely hate him. And, of course, as we'd mentioned, randomly having 
people think that he's an urban legend. It's like they were trying to go back to to the basics of the character, uh, the way he was in his early years uh, post-crisis. Mm, yeah, and it, it, it feels like this story could be told in a different way, you know, with... It, this it could easily be um, like the Joker's plan to take over all the underworld and someone got hold of it and enacted it without the Joker. And, you know, it, it didn't need to be Batman's plan. It didn't need to be Stephanie being so gung-ho and silly that she does this without talking to Batman. You know, you could have reached all these points um, and not made it Batman and Stephanie's fault to get there. There. That's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we might play. Let's play your promo, and then we'll come back and start the scoring on this one. Born and raised to make a kill, she was not given her own will. Her first hit left her feeling only disdain. She ran to Gotham's no man's land Learned from Barbara Gordon's hand This starts the legacy of Cassandra Kane. Rising from the devastation of no man's land A new warrior joined the Bat family Daughter of David Kane and Lady Shiva Trained from birth to be the ultimate killer But choosing instead to save lives She's been Batgirl Black Bat and Orphan. She is Cassandra Kane. Join Mike Staley as he goes through every appearance of one of DC's most underrated characters in Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane podcast. On iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and at silentnight.podomatic.com. Okay, and now it's the part of the show where we score this one, and the way we do it is we uh, give it four categories of score and uh, ten points each. Um, so the categories, well, we'll go through them, but uh, basically we could give it potentially 80 points between us. And uh, to get to a score of 100, we invited another person along to give their score, but then we're going to halve that score just so it gets down to uh, a number that uh, equals potentially 20, and then we get a score out of 100. And then we can stick it on the DCOCD ladder, which is at waitingfordoom.com. You should check that out. Anyway, um, so firstly, let's get into the first category, which is eventiness. So for eventiness on this one, I am going to give it two, because uh, logically this story should have been bigger than it was. It should have included many more people helping to solve Batman's problem, and it just includes the Bat family as depleted as it was at the time. So I think it's a two, because it doesn't really get as big as it ought to have. And it really is just these seven Bat books, which uh, includes Robin and Catwoman and Batgirl and things like that. Uh, Anyway, what about you, Mike? Well, for an event's eventiness to reach true levels of eventosity, the event must demonstrate eventegrity and eventicality. Only then can the eventology of an event truly achieve eventcalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right. But, <laughs> boiled down, I went with a 3 out of 10. To me, an event should really encompass more of the DC universe as a whole, this felt like a big Bat Family story, but not really an event. And it wasn't even, you know, like you had already mentioned, it wasn't even a very well done 
bat family story. Mm, yeah. And what about the writing? How did you find that? Well, as I said a little earlier, I can see what they were trying to achieve with, uh, you know, getting Batman back to his basics. And the story itself, at points, I did find intriguing, but the execution was poor. Batman came off terrible. As I mentioned, Steph was pretty much, you know, women in refrigerators. So I went with a four out of ten. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I think this is... Well, I, I think technically it is written quite well, but I think the plot and the direction of the book and uh, the mechanics to get it there were um, stupendously clunky. And, yeah, uh, anyone who knows and loves Batman wouldn't want this you know, plot for him. So I'm going to give the writing a two. And, you know, I think the outcomes of this story were dreadful. The direction of it was dreadful. Um, and the methodology to, you know, get the plot to that point is it's really, really awkward. And there's no art in the plot at all. It's, yeah. And, you know, throughout, it's not very interesting because it's just a whole bunch of characters in situations going, we'll do this now, we'll fight them now, we'll go over here now. And, you know, they forgot to put the characterization into this story and to make you feel something like when Orpheus dies. You know, there's no, yeah, there's no emotion in it. It's just plot, 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 plodding along. And, um, yeah, for that, I'm going to give it a two. And I feel harsh. <laughs> Um, but the art and the covers, they're, you know, they're good. They're all right. They're, you know, I, I don't think they're anything particularly splashy. I I did notice, and this is not a good thing to notice in a comic, that uh, the colouring in some of the issues was um, what I would call bloody awful. <laughs> and, you know, the, a lot of pinks and stuff. I mean, I guess it's a hard story to colour because it mostly takes place at night in Gotham City with things on fire. Um, but yeah, the the art. I mean, it's got some people I like, like Brad Walker and Pete Woods, but it just doesn't feel like anything particularly special. And certainly, there was no art inside the pages that made me go, "Look at that! Isn't that nice?" It was just all, ah, okay. This you know awful story is being competently drawn. That's uh, so. For that, I'm going to give the art a five out of ten. What about you? Well, as tends to be the case when you have a you know. A series taking place over multiple stories, you're going to get a lot of different artists. So uh, I feel it was hit and miss, but I do think it was more hit than it was miss. Like you, a lot of the artists, you know, jumped out at me. And, and in some cases, like, I know this person's a good artist. This was good. This wasn't particularly good. I went with a six out of 10. Six. Okay. We're not far off each other, are we? Yeah. No. <laughs> and, um, yeah, where did you fall on the impact and legacy? Well, uh, as mentioned, this uh, had early changes to the status quo, but as time passes, loads of retcons, just about everything, you know, that this story accomplishes is completely wiped away before long. Yeah, and, of course, Batman having issues with the Bat family, learning his lesson, which he had didn't really do in this one, but and then just going back and doing it again. A lot of the legacy and impact isn't really there because nothing really stuck that happens in this story. Mm. So I gave this a three. Three. Yeah, I yeah I struggled with the impact and legacy because as I said, everything that is uh, referred to in this story is just to undo it. And uh, at the end of the day, 
there's no continuity impact from this story at all. Uh, the only thing that really lasts is the fact that Bill Willingham will get annoyed if you ask him about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I'm going to give it a zero because uh, it really has negated all the impact by undoing everything that happened in this story and making it not count. And yeah, and not in a way that a DC universe usually does by rebooting, but actively targeting things that happen in this story and eliminating the consequences of them through another story that uh, deliberately does so. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I think all the impact and legacy basically gets negated, and there is also a logical lack of impact for Batman from the fact that he. You know, what if Batman was an idiot? Well, he would get away with it, and no one would ever call him to task for it. So, because uh, honestly, from the way the story is laid out, I blame Batman completely for Stephanie's uh, death and the fact that he couldn't notice that she accessed his files, um, that he sacked her in the first place. He saved his life, and he sacked her. And yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I'm being you know really harsh on this one, and I'm giving it a zero. But we don't do this alone. Uh, we have Bill Bear from the BatPod podcast, and he's uh, going to give us his thoughts now on the crossover as well. Take it away, Bill. Hi, this is Bill Beer from the BatPod podcast, and I want to thank Paul and Mike for giving me an opportunity to do this semi-OCD of Batman War Games. And I have to say, when I first got Paul's message about being a part of Batman War Games, I was like, yes, yes, I'd love to talk Batman. And then I thought about Batman War Games. Hmm, it's Batman <laughs> War Games. I didn't have a fond memory of Batman War Games, so I went back and reread everything. So, let's jump right in and see what I think. So, the writing. I think the premise of how this was set up was pretty good in your Batman 12-cent adventure. I really liked, leading up, Stephanie Brown as Robin. I thought she was a good Robin. She gets fired by Batman. She wants to prove herself to Batman. So she steals his plans to organize the mob bosses under Matches Malone. And I like that. I like that first issue. I thought it was a great setup to this. But then we kind of get off the rails here because it, it's set up in three acts, and the first act was a little slow, the second act was a little better, and the third act, I like. The ending was good, but not what I expected, and I'll get to that. The other thing I really liked, I like the interaction, Jim Gordon's no longer commissioner, I like the interaction between Batman and Jim Gordon, and Jim stepping up and saying, hey, if you talk to me the way you were talking to Commissioner Atkins." He said, we wouldn't have the relationship that we would have had previously. So I did like that a lot. I also like Black Mask. Black Mask is one of my favorite villains. His rise to power, seeing that in these, these issues. It was pretty, uh, I, I like seeing that. Some of the things that I did not care for, some of them are more more obvious than others. But the length, you know, going back and reading it in trade, it seems very long. I didn't realize that when it was coming out because there would be several issues a week. You know, it was done over like two months. So at that time, it didn't seem like it was really long. But reading it in trade, it seemed like it was a little long to me. The other thing that I did not like is what they did to Leslie Tompkins, being the true villain in this book. Black Mask isn't the true villain. 
Leslie Tompkins is the true villain in this book. I did not like what they did to her character. And you, you really don't have an idea in the war games part until you get to war crimes. And you see how she let Stephanie die to prove a point to Batman and Bruce. And Leslie has always been a character that's been around. You know, she's been around in the 70s. I think it was Detective Comics 457 made her first appearance. She was there nurturing and caring for Bruce. After her parents died, she was a friend of Thomas Wayne's. So to see her go in this direction, I didn't really like it. I mean, you're not going to like all stories, but I didn't particularly like this aspect of that. So, I gave a 6 for the writing. Okay, let's get into the covers and the art, which I got to talk about the covers, number one. Let me just go over some of these covers. The Batman covers were done by Matt Wagner. Detective by Jock. Robin covers were done by Dustin Wynn. And Nightwing covers were done by Scott McDaniel. And the Jay Lee covers were awesome also. I really enjoyed the covers. Even though it had a little, you know, War Games trade address, you know, on the left side. Again, that didn't bother me a whole lot. But when you get into the books, there's a lot of different books. There's a lot of different artists. Not too many really stood out to me personally. It's it's not like when you're doing a crossover and you have one artist, one writer. We have multiple writers, multiple artists. So nothing really stood out to me besides these covers. These covers were great. They were fantastic. And I rated the covers in the art a 7. If it was just based on cover, it would probably be a 9 or 10. Okay, getting into the eventiness of this book. It's not a DC proper event. There weren't any crossovers that I can recall into other DC books besides the Batman books. It's not on my list as one of the great so-called Batman events. It's not something that I go back and, and think of fondly. I didn't like I didn't like the Leslie Tompkins becoming a villain. I didn't... That's not something that I enjoyed that much. So this doesn't come down as one of the better events for me personally. And I gave the eventiness a four. Okay. Last, we come up to impact and legacy. And I'm, I had to think about this one a little bit. And the only real impact was Black Mass going from like D-list villain to like B-A-list. And that's kind of questionable. You know, he took over the Gotham underworld, which was cool to see in this book. Because I do enjoy Black Mask. I do enjoy his original origin. But you got to think, impact and legacy. What's the impact of this book? And then you start thinking of Leslie Tompkins as the, the villain, Stephanie Brown. She let Stephanie Brown die. And you think, what's the impact, the legacy of that? Well, they changed it. It's no longer, she didn't kill Stephanie Brown. Years later... In 2008, in Robin 174, Stephanie Brown comes back. Her death was faked. They were trying to prove a point to Batman using these young kids as his Robin. So it didn't stick. If you're going to do a story, you're going to do a big event crossover. I know a lot of things don't stick, but something has to stick. Nothing stuck. Nothing stuck to the wall in this one. There's nothing that changed in this particular book. At least permanently. And I like Stephanie Brown as a character. I like Leslie Tompkins as a character. And in, in War Crimes, Batman told her, never come back to Gotham. You're a murderer. She eventually came back to Gotham. So they pretended 
mostly that war games didn't happen. And that's why Impact Slash Legacy is a 2. I wanted to thank Mike and Paul for giving me a chance to do this semi-OCD. Thanks for that, Bill. So, yeah, we've what we've got here is, well, I'll do your scores, Mike. So you gave it a 3, a 4, a 6, and a 3, which gives it a total of 16 out of 40, which is not a pass mark <laughs> if you're a teacher. And I gave it a 2, a 2, a 5, and a 0, which is 9, which is also not a pass mark. <laughs> and Bill gave it a 4, a 6, a 7, and a 2, which is 19 out of 40. But because he's a semi-OCD, we halve that to get a 10. We'll round, round it up and give him 10. And if we add these scores together, we have a grand total, and I use the word grand ironically, of... <laughs> 35 and um yeah so this this event wow. 35 out of 100 and if we go to the uh, dcocd ladder where i'm going to insert the events shortly um this is the second worst event above genesis so it uh, falls between that oh, space man. <laughs> yeah joker's so last close. laugh is better than this <laughs> officially yeah. You know, last year during March Madness, I got together with a bunch of other comic podcasters and we did like a fantasy March Madness tournament. And I was going for last because they were going to have a booby prize and I wanted it. And I ended up second to, from last. And now once again, I get in on this and I end up second from last. Oh, look at that. I can't even get the bottom spot. <laughs> Yeah, and that, I mean that's how this you know this story goes. It's not the worst thing ever, but geez, it but gives close. it a red hot go to get there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean I actually find this one more offensive than Genesis. Genesis is just bad. It's you know, but it isn't you know doing hateful things. It's just doing incompetent things incompetently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but as I said, um, yeah, if you want to see the ladder in its full glory, and we've got, like, 26 episodes on the ladder now, it's over at waitingfordoom.com, um, our brand new website, which is really good. And you can see the ladder, you can see the, uh, the ladder in episode order, which, um, doesn't tell you where the scores lie visually, but, uh, you can click the button that says show it in, uh, ranked order, and then you can see them all in order, and you can see the one at the top and the one at the bottom, and this one, the one second from the bottom. So, <laughs> wow. Anyway, um, we'll have a little promo now and then we'll do a little bit of feedback that we got. Grab your bat microphone, it's time to start the show. Check out the Bat Pod with your host, Bill Beer. This was, cucumber this was an issue. <laughs> yes, have you ever had a cucumber sandwich? And his co-host, Joey Galvez. I mean, I like it, you know, cucumber water. Have you ever had that? It's so refreshing, it's Topic of the week. I really love the Michael Keaton Batman, the Tim Burton Batman. Thought you were going to mention Batman and Robin for a minute. <laughs> you know, George Clooney had you hello or character spotlights. The condiment king was a guy named Buddy Stanley, uh, okay. a former stand up comedian. But, you know, stump your co host segments. Okay, where's your Batman card? Just go ahead and send that to me. Sorry, sorry. And we'll, and we'll rip that up. <laughs> Okay. You can find the Bat Pod on thenerdylegion.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Google Play, and we are now on Stitcher. The Bat Pod is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Network. Your crime fighting collective, it's the Bat Pod. What the blue bacon? 
Okay, so feedback on DCOCD. We have uh, a bit of feedback from Sean Ross, and he's this is on Identity Crisis, our last episode, and he said, This was another strong episode. Identity Crisis is a tough work to cover as it brings so many different passionate responses from fans. I especially appreciate Paul, uh, Professor Allen's and Emily's review. I love when I vehemently disagree with someone's view on an issue, but that person's argument is so thoughtful and well-reasoned that it gives me real pause. Excellent work all around. Oh, and great music choices. <laughs> and we also heard from Tim Price, and he said, I knew Identity Crisis was going to be a delicate event to cover, but you all handled it so well. I've been needing to give it a reread, but the hurdle is that it doesn't feel complete without also reading Countdown, One Shot Through, Identity Crisis, etc. That's a lot of reading, Tim. Anyway, thankfully this show will get there soon enough. The mini was really good and deserves the high marks, but a lasting effect is it's bittersweet to read older stories with Routh and Sue, knowing that this is their future. They were a sweet couple and gave hope for other heroes that, who could find love eventually, in spite of the danger. But no more. That makes me sad. And the music choices were bitingly fantastic. Cheers. And we also received an email from Martin Gray. Martin Gray, old school comics fan. I think he's a bit pulled out that we're spending so much time in this um, zone of DC history that he's not super happy with. And he said, Dear Paul, Mike, M, Professor, and Dr. H, nice episode as ever. A few notes. That Deathstroke beating the Justice League sequence, except Ollie, was ridiculous. It was the JLA versus Mary Sue. The only reason he did so well was because Meltzer had them attack one at a time. Kyle alone should have beaten him in a second. This is extremely experienced JLA, and they've stared down Darkseid. They're not going to be put off their game by an old git who constantly brags about his speedy tennis serve and Mensa potential. Mm. I don't actually get why mind-wiping was suddenly so bad. Ooh, he's the pro-mind-white camp. Um, Superman has been doing it via superhypnosis every other month in the Silver Age, as some supporting cast members or baddie learn his secrets. As long as the memory is targeted with pin precision, what's the harm? And on impact, I'm with Paul, I think. It should be the objective impact of the book that counts, not whether you personally enjoy what follows, Mike. As for future stuff, I think you could save time and energy by not covering the likes of Bruce Wayne Murderer or Batman War Games, which weren't really DC events, so much as inter-family storylines. Just do the big stuff that affects the whole universe, or at least crosses families of titles. Best of most, Mart. Okay, Mart, I'll, you know, that Deathstroke fight, um, yes, people, some people have your point of view, um, one thing that is, you know, you've got to consider in this is everybody is very riled up, and that doesn't make them super um, careful in this fight, you know, perhaps, you know. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think Brad was trying to show that Deathstroke is super cool, uh, even though the Teen Titans can beat him. Um, mind wiping, yeah. But one of the things about this story was it was really exploring what are the real, well, realish consequences of things. So you know, if you start mind wiping, it can be potentially immoral and wrong, but uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I think I've got an issue with you about the impact of the because I think you know the impact. We've done twenty six of these, uh, well twenty seven now, and I don't feel like I'm consistent with how I do the impact. And sometimes I pick it up on certain things, and you know it tends to be with what um, reacts to me mostly. So I don't feel you know this isn't an academic uh, dissection by um, learned you know, uh, professors, except for Professor Allen, of course. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not going to do it the same every time on the um, 
the way we judge these. I mean, we're just a bunch of fans who want to talk about it, and I'm lucky to get extra people along to um, give an opinion. So, I mean, with these things, I never know how the score's going to fall out. you know. And your last point about why we're covering books. Yeah, I, we don't have to do any of these books, but uh, I tend to want to do um, crossovers that I think uh, have something interesting that comes from them or doesn't come from them and you know like Bruce Wayne Murderer it, it does a lot of setting up for um, like Sasha Bordeaux and her role in the lead up to Infinite Crisis and Checkmate and beyond and that's an interesting thing to reread and it's an interesting thing to talk about whereas uh, you know I will skip a crossover if I feel like it's not doing anything new and it's the same which is I mean why I didn't do you know Contagion, Cataclysm and Legacy because they, they basically feel like the same story structurally and impact wise they all just lead into each other and um, honestly Batman War Games is on the list because I wanted to punish it and I wanted everyone to know what happens in it so uh, you know I I don't just want to do the events that I like you know I own these books so I want to justify talking about them at some point so yeah that's that's why we did War Games but um, thanks for your comments and thanks for listening Mart um, I know we're a long way from your favourite comics at this point but uh, perhaps we'll come back around in some into some stuff that you really enjoy Anyway, um, where can people find you, Mike, online and stuff? Well, um, of course, my main podcast is Silent Night, the Xander Kane podcast. Uh, people want to email me on that. They can reach me at CassandraKaneCast uh, at gmail.com. And I am on Twitter uh, under the name Stale Dog with two Gs because I was a teenager <laughs> in the 90s. It's still rad, mate. It's still rad. <laughs> Everyone was dog back in the 90s. <laughs> I must have missed that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that came from. Just people started calling me that because, of course, my last name's Staley. So people just started calling me Stale Dog at high school, and it just kind of stuck and has stayed with me as my typical nickname on social media and such. I love it. That's good. <laughs> oh, and one other thing. I almost forgot to, to plug one of my more active things. I am on YouTube uh, the, under the channel Mike's Geek World, where you will find all sorts of stuff. Uh, used to do a lot of like reaction videos. Don't do those so much anymore. But I got a lot of uh, song parodies like I have at the end of my uh, past few episodes. And uh, uh, in my promo, there's a bit of a song parody. I have a number of those based on different uh geek culture things yeah yeah for those of you who don't know mike is a pretty talented musician and singer so i presume you're a musician yes yes i i am i actually did go to <laughs> go to college for music unfortunately i've been able to do nothing with that but i mean isn't podcasting a good outlet for that sort of thing oh yeah <laughs> yeah podcasting on my youtube channel give me a chance to still use the things i learned yeah well check those out everybody but, uh, yeah, next time it's a Waiting for Doom, and we are very excited. We're going to be starting the uh, Giffen and Clark run of Doom Patrol, which is Volume 5, which, for those of you playing at home, is the only volume of Doom Patrol we haven't talked about at this stage in full. Um, and next time we're coming back, and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of reading again, and it is, we're doing the lead-up to Infinite Crisis, which is, you know, the the countdown to uh, in, the Infinite Crisis special and uh, all those miniseries that happened where, you know, everything went wrong in the universe before Infinite Crisis started. So I'm actually looking forward to giving that stuff a read because I have uh, good memories of some of it. 
But uh, yeah, as I said, if you want to get in touch, you can go to waitingfordoom.com and leave a comment on any of our show posts and check out the ladder. Woo! And you can also, you know, send us an email at dcocdcast at gmail.com. And of course, we're on Twitter at dcocdcast. So uh, find us there and chat to us. Anyway, thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Hope everything goes well for the next uh, while for you. Thank you very much. Cry.